The following podcast is brought to you by OpenG Records. These poor people have been bullshitted by the system. Bullshitted by the system. Bullshitted by the system. Opening Bullshit. Bullshitted by the system. Oh, I'm dropping dimes tonight. Bullshit. Oh, I'm dropping dimes tonight. Oh, I'm dropping bullshit tonight. What's up, OpenG subscribers? This is William Kerrigan, Chief of Operations here at OpenG Records. I'm sitting here with founder and CEO Chris Grimes. What's up? Um, this is the first installment in what we're calling our Open Season podcast, or mini-series of sorts. Uh, we're going to be putting these out every two weeks, uh, first and third week of each month. Um, and in each of these, we're going to talk about some stuff that's happening at the label. We're going to talk about some general ideas within music and in the life of a musician, and we'll also throw in some current events uh, and sports and stuff like that. Um, so let's dive right in. We're, um, what, are, what are some of the things that are exciting you about what we're doing here at the label right now, Chris? Well, I mean, obviously the thing that's most imminent is that uh, we're literally sending uh, the art today for the pressing of our second release from the label, which is called SCH. It's a record of piano forehands uh, with Open G uh, cast members, Zach Birkin and Miri Yampolsky. Uh, pieces by Schubert and Schumann and two world premiere recordings by uh, Stephen Stuckey and Roberta Sierra. Uh, a lot of the old and the new put together on, on one record. I'm really excited about that because it shows the open G ethos of the same players playing the most traditional classical music and the most new classical music and doing it both really legitimately. I'm, I'm super stoked. I think the art is really beautiful. Um, uh, Chris Glass made a, a beautiful package. We're pressing 12-inch vinyl. We're pressing CDs and, of course, uh, the usual array of digital download and streaming and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so, so let's. Uh, I'm curious to know uh, for myself and for for anyone who's listening, what is the thing that for this whole package that we're we're putting out? Um, what what most excites you about this particular project, and what have you found most frustrating about getting this project out? Real behind the scenes stuff. Uh, I, I can start with the second one first. The most frustrating part about putting this out is dealing with myself. Actually, um, everybody that I work with, you, Chris Glass, the artist, is pretty much on point. Uh, I am pretty much the opposite of on point at all times. Uh, so I would have to say that uh, the most frustrating part behind the scenes for me is getting my ass in gear on a daily basis to say I'm what it boils down to actually is self-confidence uh, and um, a general uh, kind of feeling that who gives a shit about what I have to say. That's a feeling that exists nowhere in the artistic community. That's <laughs> yeah, like, no, I. That's, I, you're a real. You're no, a I understand, real but you know, it 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 cripples me in non musical uh, uh, things as well. Like, um, uh, for example, when I was a kid, my brother and I lament these days. Our dentist was pretty clumsy, and so I have teeth in the back of my mouth that are 
crumbling basically because the fillings were too big. And I'm so filled with shame that I have trouble going to the dentist. And Rachel will tell you that like I had a legit freak out like in the, in, in the lobby of, of the building where my dentist is because I just, the shame of feeling that somehow it's my fault. I cannot deal with it. I really, like, I can't. <laughs> you can giggle, man. It's, I, you, I, no, I really... And, no, because here's the thing. Like, for me personally, uh, there's no... I need no more incentive not to want to go to the dentist. Like, that is... <laughs> I'm putting that on, like... I'll put it one, maybe two steps above, like, the bottom circle of hell yeah. in terms of places. I just have no desire to visit. Um, yeah, so and so I have that, that coupled with this, like, deep personal shame that somehow I messed up. It's my fault, you know, that, that like I need an implant in the back of my mouth or something like that. In fact, and I, this tooth in the front uh, is an implant because it, um, it got knocked out in seventh grade when I called Tiffany McDaniel a brainless slug. Oh. And then she threw her book at my face, okay. and, uh, history book, and uh, knocked my fucking tooth out. And I had to have a root canal and all that. So ever since then, besides the clumsy dentist, it's just been like forget about it but more than anything it's the personal shame okay and so that that plus the self-doubt you know really uh, freezes me you know sometimes i'll have a comment that i'll need to send to our artist chris glass for example and i'll just freeze because it'll be like he doesn't want to hear from me that guy thinks i'm a fucking scumbag (laughs) I'm already a day late with this. I'm a loser. Fuck it. And then it goes all day. It's gone. So that's the most frustrating part about it. Which is it. interesting to me because I always Chris Glass is always the one that takes well, a long takes, time to so, get. He takes a while too. But I'm I'm you know I'm an equal partner in that right. without any doubt. His deal is is obviously something else. But mine uh, mine is just that I fucking hate myself and okay. i can't believe that anyone would actually like write me back if i sent them an email so i don't that that okay all right <laughs> you know it's been uh, uh i mean you know we'll just talk about shit for a while when i was at, at my last job at east carolina um i had a it's going to premiere my first concerto that was written for me which is by my friend david glazer and I was responsible for getting the entire orchestra together to perform the piece. And I literally, I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't put the orchestra together because I couldn't call anybody on the phone and ask them to do anything for me because why would they clearly they're going to tell me to fuck myself. Clearly I'm a scumbag and they're going to like be their laugh. They'll laugh in my face. Now that never happened. But that's that's my reality. That is really really what I think is going to happen. I, I it, it doesn't. So long story short, that concerto almost didn't happen, and the only reason it almost didn't happen was because I couldn't call six violin players on the phone. Or worse than that, they played in the North Carolina Symphony, and I would have weeks of rehearsal with them, where I would sit feet from them on the stage and never like get the gumption gumption to walk over, to and, walk over and say. These were friends. These were people I would go have drinks with right. after the show, but I couldn't say, hey, can I pay you $200 to come play a concerto that was written for me that we're going to give a world premiere of? Because 
I would never believe that they would do that. Yeah, I, I don't think that's uh, by any I, by any means a uh, just a you thing. I think it's uh, maybe a little amplified. But I'll say for my for my <laughs> part, I mean, I, I've certainly had moments of that uh, in my own playing, and especially when it comes to writing. Uh, I mean, I've got a one of my best friends back home has like this songbook of like over a hundred songs he's written, and meanwhile, there's me who I've written a bunch of little pieces, and I'll <laughs> I'll get started, and then I'm like, oh, this is. It's either this is total crap or I'm totally ripping off this other thing. Right. And then you don't even, like, finish. Yeah. So, I mean, it, and it's a terrifying... And then it, when it comes time to putting a band together, I mean, you know, regardless of what type of art or music or whatever you do, I certainly think that's a, <clears throat> that's a thing. So, let me ask you this. What... So, the first, uh, first record that we put out was yours. Yeah. This record is not yours. Yeah. How has this uh, this theme that we're on right now of getting over ourselves, how how has that played out differently uh, for you when it's your album versus when it's your buddy's album? Well, that's sort of like uh, the answer comes from the same general place because, uh, you know, the more that like, my personality gets established and other people's personalities get established via people getting to know us on opengrecords.com is that um, I do not give a shit about myself. So for me, even though I would love people to buy my record, to share it and really love it. Side note, everyone please do that. that <laughs> yes, at, where, at opengrecords.com, of course. <laughs> Uh, you know, for somebody else, it's all, it's a bigger deal. Uh, first of all, the composers on this record are pretty heavy hitters. Uh, Steve Stuckey won the Pulitzer in 2005. Uh, he's been, he's taught it. You see Berkeley and Cornell, uh, now at Juilliard, you know, uh, Roberto Sierra, also a major league composer, teaches at Cornell and Ithaca. Uh, and and for my friends Zach and Miri who are on the record, um, it's it's more pressure for me to um, produce for people that I care about than it is for myself because I don't care about that. Okay, so that's the biggest difference I, I would say. Oh, and and you know, the first time I did it, I literally did everything by myself except for the art. I wrote. The copy, I, you know, I directed the art via, via glass. I, you know, I, I recorded it. All of the pieces were my, you know, I put, put together the packaging and, and, and the sessions to, to make it happen. This one, I have you along and it's not, I don't have, when I listen to this record, I, I don't, I don't have the sensation of being in that space when the record was being made. So in a sense, it's less personal, and because it's less personal, and I've established that personal for me ain't that big of a draw, uh, that's the biggest difference, I think. Okay, cool. So let's uh, we'll get into our, our first uh, selected topic for this week, <laughs> and uh, this week we're, uh, we're we're talking about practice. Um, <laughs> so you've got uh, well, first of all, you're you're shedding hard on this this concerto that you're premiering. Very, very soon. Yes, um, November 8th and 9th with the Harrisburg Symphony Orchestra. Right. And you are also, I believe, have cooking a uh, 
long form uh, blog post or short form internet only novel, whichever way you want to look at it, uh, on the the art of the practicing. So I, I'm curious. Let's uh, maybe take one. Actually, take, we'll we'll do it this way. So let's mm-hmm. let's talk about when you sit down to practice how do you organize your thoughts um i know you do multi multiple sessions per day how do you organize each one and and go in with a plan and then how do you judge whether or not you've executed that plan all right those are all good questions uh (laughs) the first session i do of every day is a very specific routine that i do of a bunch of warm-ups and scale uh stuff Uh, I focus on one key every five days. It takes me about anywhere between an hour and 10 minutes and an hour and 45 minutes to get through it, depending on how hard the key is. So are we just talking, you know, long tones, then quarter notes, then, you know, eighth notes, yada, yada, yada. Well, there there are a lot of different exercises. And actually, I'm going to exhaustively talk about the order that I do it on the blog, which also was at opengrecords.com. But I start out basically by saying, again, um, I'm a person who who is formless on my own. I am bent to nothingness almost. So I have to create a structure or otherwise I'll completely fail. Yeah. the thing that, that that does work out for me is that I fear failure in a huge way and um and I respect I want to do well I want to be good and 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 in in this field the only way to actually be good is to haul ass because um there are a lot of good players out there and a lot of good musicians and just as a point of pride you know you want to be really good so you have for me i have to construct um like a a framework and for uh, i i took instruction from dance actually uh because um, i played a lot with the north carolina ballet when i was teaching at east carolina and uh, in fact one of the pieces that they did they did like 11 performances of a piece that was written for me so i like was their early rehearsals and and so I really started to watch. I've always been fascinated with dance because my body is the opposite of that. I'm basically strapped <laughs> to the earth. I really I'm like I can't do any of that. So it's it's almost like magic when I see great dancers. But you know they start every day in front of the bar, in front of the mirror, and they do the same positions with their feet that they probably learned when they were four or five, right. and they're doing it every day. You know, even Barishnikov would do it every day. It's just part of the the fabric of what makes you a dancer. And, and they do it intensely. They don't, like, I think you could risk probably injuring yourself if you did that stuff without, without thought. Um, and for me, making a structure for the way that I practice, particularly that first session of long tones and articulation stuff and scale stuff, if I don't have a framework... It doesn't work out. So I basically go from one position to another position to another position, and I try to add one level of difficulty as I go on. It doesn't necessarily mean that I'm going from quarter notes 
to eighth notes to sixteenths. That's not how it works for me at all. But I am logically going from, okay, I'm going to breathe in a neutral fashion. Now I'm going to be breathing in a more active fashion. Now I'm going to add the fingers to that. Now I'm going to add my tongue to the fingers, okay? But um, overarching all of that is my mantra of being a player and a teacher, but more of a player, and that is that technical problems have musical solutions. So writ large on this thing that I do every morning is like I can't do that like the dancers getting injured if they do it mindlessly. If I do it mindlessly, it actually makes my playing worse um, because so much of actually being a great craftsman of the instrument is having your mind in it at all times. Um, and for me, the you know, the confidence part of, of it is so, it, it is difficult. I, every morning I'm like, this. I'm going to sound like shit today. And then it sounds okay. But I've tried to change my thinking. I've been really inspired by this book recently called um, The War of Art. And um, it talks about a true artist changes their thinking from a hierarchical perspective to like a, um, a territorial perspective. So I don't... I'm trying not to think anymore of how does this, how does me playing this scale compare to say my friend Scott who plays principal clarinet in the St. Louis symphony, which I used to not about him. Cause he's my friend. I used to obsess about like a nameless, not real clarinet player that I would compare myself to and be like, is this good enough to sit here? Is this good enough? And when you drop that and you start to be like, is this good enough for what I think it needs to be? Do I think this is beautiful? And all of that other stuff just drops away. And I'm in a room by myself for, as I say, an hour and 15 minutes or whatever. And that time is mine. And fuck everybody else during that hour and 15 minutes. I'm not going to worry about what you're doing. I'm not going to worry about what he's doing. I'm just going to try to make stuff as beautiful as I can, play as evenly as I can, make the technique as good, make the musical phrasing sound good, that's technique is just a tool but like a lot of tools the sharper it gets the more useful it is so had i do you, had you said that last line before that that I, was like confucian i wrote it this you morning wrote, okay. for the blog okay <laughs> i was gonna say yeah. that, that no yeah i came to me i thought well it was nice right idea there and, and also reference on the blog and i'll do it again right now my one of my favorite singers Andy defranco who has a line that says uh, that every tool is a weapon if you hold it right okay so and so you know that's kind of you know i, I don't practice the technique for its own sake i practice it so that when i want to play something beautifully and it's difficult that I can forget about the difficulty and worry about the beauty instead. It's all practicing technique to forget about it. I think I'm going to, I'm going to butcher this quote, um, <laughs> but I, I think it was Charlie Parker. And he said, uh, you know, like learn, learn the notes, learn the tunes and then forget all that shit and just play. And I mean, yeah. it's just, I mean, that, that's a, yeah. it seems like a mindset that has, you know, pervaded, you know, a lot of the, the greats, you know, throughout time, I think it's definitely a good thing to, to latch on. It is. But you know what? I mean, the greats had to bust their ass of to course. get to the point where you can transcend the instrument. You know, it's like, well, it's it, like we've talked about before, you know, there's a, there's a reason that the term charlatan exists. <laughs> I mean, you, you can't just immediately come out and, 
you know you gotta you gotta do your homework first. you have to and and <clears throat> classical music it's, it's especially is such a specific art form where you know you could be you could be giving a, a Shakespeare play or, or or monologue and you have to say those words you can't ablib Shakespeare but you can within within that framework choose your timing and choose your pacing which isn't necessarily available for us in music because maybe the composer says this goes this fast yeah there's no breath here so it's so specific and it takes such a level of work to get beyond that specificity that i think it that's why so many people never get to the point where you transcend it and you can truly leave it behind how do you feel about this is a quick sidebar but how do you how do you feel about the almost micromanaging aspect of some composers in terms because you look back in time and that wasn't a thing but right it seems to have become more and more right of a thing what, what are your thoughts on that uh i fucking hate it okay um good start i i we actually talk about this in the in the last podcast that i did with uh steve stuckey which is he had a piece recently he has a symphony that was was commissioned by three different orchestras at the same time they pooled their money together. St. Louis, I'm sorry, yeah, St. Louis, L.A. Phil, New York Philharmonic. And they, all three of them gave sort of a co-premiere within a month or something like that. And he said all three performances were totally different. Cool. And totally, he didn't expect that, but it worked. And, And that's like when you... I feel like that's the mark of a genius. Like, Like we talked about with Shakespeare, you could... You could make King Lear like a fragile, helpless old man, or you could make King Lear this powerful guy who's like sort of losing his mind, but really still has it. And the words are are beautiful and, and, and have enough genius in them that it can carry both of those things. But these pieces that are so specific, I feel like you might as well play that. Let the composer bring out a MIDI keyboard and let him play it if you <laughs> yeah. want it to be exactly like that. And there, that there is a perfect performance out there is yeah. bullshit. Yeah. Because uh, I'll tell you, there's no perfect performance of the Brahms clarinet quintet, which is maybe the greatest piece of music ever written for my instrument. And you could get wildly different interpretations of it that are all great. Yeah. There's certainly, you know, if I went. I've never been to any performance of a great of a piece of work that I would call great, great, like great with a capital G. That I said that's definitive. I might say that's the best I ever heard that, or that's the coolest way that I've ever heard it. But you know, definitive is like a, an actor on film that that it's that you know nobody's ever going to be Daniel Day Lewis in There Will Be Blood again because that's done. But you could play Beethoven Nine again. So, long story short, over my, micromanaging composers can bite me. I, I, I want music that I can put my imprint on, you know. The Mozart concerto is an idea until I play it, or whoever, but for me it's me. Same thing with, with your piece, but if it's already a finished idea before I get my hands on it, then what am I here for? You know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not just like your piano I have a brain and I have a soul and I ain't your instrument. So, you know, 
Yeah. That's pretty much where I roll with that. I'm going to, I hope you're ready for this segue. Yeah, I'm ready. So, um, I'm going to get into our next, uh, our next topic that we, uh, we decided on for this week. And I'm going to, I'm going to, you mentioned there will be blood, obviously. Johnny Greenwood was the uh, composer of that. Johnny Greenwood is in a band with Thom York, who just dropped an album on BitTorrent, uh, which is a notorious uh, pirating site. So uh, we're gonna we're gonna get away from the just the music. We'll talk a little bit about the business side here. There have actually been a couple uh, within the last, let's say, five six months. Um, You two just invading everyone in America's iTunes account. Uh, Prince just dropped two albums at one time this week because he's Prince and he does whatever he wants. <laughs> um, and was, I, I quite like him. No, Prince uh, is badass. I can't uh, hate on that dude at all. I was listening to Spectrum Electrum as I, I walked yeah, over no, here. That guy's a, a literal genius. Man. Absolutely. Um, and then uh, to, to go back uh, to last, I'm drawing a blank on one of the last fall or something, when uh, Beyonce surprised the mm-hmm. entire world. Uh, what is... What do you what do you think of that? I mean, obviously, it's a marketing ploy. Is it, uh, you know, what do you does it strike you as cool? I mean, we'll start with the most recent ones. So we, you know, Prince has his own record label. Yeah, you've got your own record label. What are, what are your thoughts <laughs> on dropping dropping two? Just there you go. It would be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah! If I could get away with that. Hey, here are two albums of me on the same day. Great. Yeah. Hell yeah. Okay. What about the uh, <clears throat> what about Tom York on the uh, the bit tour? That's bit. really That's, interesting uh, for me because I was like, as you know, I'm old, and so I remember uh, I was out of college even when Napster first came along, and I remember sharing files with you know on my 56k dial-up connection. It might have been more than that, but it wasn't much more than that. Uh, it took forever, and and the fact that it's like legit now, especially BitTorrent, really sort of becoming sort of a black flag organization. I would say like a pirate, full on like pretty much. Here are movies. Here's here's ne- you know this is being premiered next week. Here's a non watermark copy that everybody can just take right now. So the fact that first of all anybody doing anything to upset the regular established music industry is a big bonus in my book. I don't really care if it's positive or negative. Anything that upsets that apple cart is awesome. <clears throat> Secondly, using formerly sort of illicit um, channels to now be uh, publishing legit stuff is also awesome because I, I, I believe that the internet is basically a, a, an invention that's as important as the wheel in a way. I think that should we survive two to 500 years from now, they'll look back on the seventies and eighties and nineties and go, that's when everything changed. Yeah. Um, so anything that an artist, an artist or artists use to exploit any channel uh, is is great. I, for me, the first uh, the first mainstream bands that I was aware of that had changed their 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 uh, their paradigm with this was first Radiohead. I think you're talking about uh, in Rainbows or yeah. Um, I mean they they ran out of their contract with I believe it was EMI. And rather than 
then sign again. They said, here, here's our latest album and you can pay whatever you want for it. And and people did. People did. I paid, I think, 15 bucks because that's what I would pay for a CD. And I believe that they averaged eight. And you and I now know, I'm sure that their, their, their deal with EMI was way more amenable than what we have with regular composers. But inside baseball... We owe royalties, say I play a piece by a composer who's alive. The piece is not in public domain. Public domain. We want to release it. I owe 9.1 cents, as long as it's under 10 minutes. So, if I sell that record for $20, I owe somebody 9.1 cents out of that $20. I'm sure, as I say, that their their deal was way better than that. But still, I'm sure EMI took... Enormous amounts, and then representation, and then whatever distribution tendrils they had. So maybe they sold records for $15, but I guarantee they didn't see that $8 that they saw by selling it completely themselves. Yep. And they were able to do that because they had such an established and rabid fan base that will still pay for that stuff. If, 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 if you're an up-and-coming band and you put your stuff out for free, that's pretty risky. I think Nine Inch Nails also, I think, followed, like Trent Reznor followed uh, followed pretty fast into the self-release. Uh, I didn't know that. I'm pretty sure. So uh, I thought Beyonce's release was pretty fresh. I'm like, I find myself not the hugest Beyonce fan in the world, but I thought that, you know, again, releasing a record in an unconventional way, especially a huge artist like her. It's just like you woke up and surprised there's a record and it's videos. That's awesome. I almost don't care who it's from. Yeah. So, uh, something crazy about that one that, uh, it, I don't know if it's been published yet, but the Harvard business school or Harvard business review is actually making a case study out of Beyonce because of that, uh, mm. thing. Um, I mean that that will that was a, a huge deal, and I think it was a bigger deal just because of who she is and how right. and like. <clears throat> I wonder how much Jay Z had to do with that because I think he's a brilliant sort of mind in the production side. Of <laughs> There's it, so. no arguing that they are marketing. Uh, he's he is a marketing genius, right? It's, so I, I you know that may have been his idea somewhere in the back, but it may be hers. I don't know. I'm just saying that I, I recognize that he often has uh, fingers in a lot of pies. Uh, as it goes along. In terms of the the disruptive aspect, um, obviously here we're you know we have a record label and we're um, we're trying to do things in maybe not the super orthodox traditional way, but at the end of the day, our you know business model and any musician's business model, even if you go the complete independent route, is I need I have this product which is my my art my music, I need to you know, make money off of that somehow. I mean that, you know, we're, we're capitalist. You, you need money to, to live. What, um, how do you temper the obvious, you know, yeah, stick it to the man mindset of the disruptive technology <laughs> with the, oh crap, at the end of the day, you know, we, we still need to, <clears throat> we still need to get something out of it. I, uh, I don't really know. Cause I just have a stick it to the man kind of <laughs> attitude. And, you know, it remains to be seen whether our label is successful, but I don't, I want to run it like uh, an independent 
pop label almost. Like I, I feel like our, our, you know, just because some people say classical music fits in this category, I don't think it really does. So the the, the remarkable thing is that we have at our fingertips the ability to put stuff out whether anybody likes it or not. So um, for better or for worse, there's a lot of crap content because anybody with their with a cell phone can put stuff up on SoundCloud. You're talking about because of the internet, because of, you know, like a garage band. Yeah, yeah. you know, look, it wasn't that long ago that I graduated from college in uh, 93. So 20 20 years ago, roughly, I graduated from college. My senior recital is on reel-to-reel tape. Not even a cassette. Like, two big fucking, like, (laughs) six-inch reels. That's my senior recital. Okay? 20 years later... I can record. We could put this out. I could. I could push stop on 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 the app right now, and we could have this up on the internet as fast as it took to upload it. You know that's insanity yep. compared. You you had no ability to record yourself to produce yourself unless you had that equipment, and that equipment is expensive. And who has all the equipment? The companies. So back in the day, that was really the only way to get your stuff out there was to go through the gatekeeper of somebody else who decided, often never one person, a committee of people to listen to your shit and say whether it's good or not. And then maybe you get one record and then maybe that's it, you know, and maybe you'll get a review and maybe that's it. But the 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 paradigm now is... Fuck that, you know. Netflix is making their own movies and their own series. Why? Because they can. Uh, Amazon, I think, is making their own movies. YouTube, I think, is making their own stuff. They're not relying on just, you know, content from from users. So, uh, I, I, I think that not only is my sense of balancing the F you to the man versus kowtowing to the traditional industry is is screwed up and undefined. I think the whole industry screwed up and undefined because it's in such flux that no, I don't know where things are going to end up. So the, the only reason that I don't pay any attention to the traditional music industry, and particularly our classical music industry, is because I think it's just useless and dead, and so I'm not interested in paying attention to it anyway. Well, and I think uh, you know some of the conversations that we had early on and a lot of the reason behind you know, the blog and the podcast and, you know, what we're doing right now is, uh, you know, when the artist is no longer on this gleaming stage, you know, behind the fourth wall and there's, you know, when that's no longer the case and anybody can make art, anybody can make music, what can set you apart is, you know, giving people a, I heard there's a, I don't know if I was reading an article or what, but someone said that the real value of an artist is their creative process. And I think that's what a lot of, you know, Mm -hmm. these sort of behind the scenes thing uh, that you've really emphasized is a way to kind of break through the noise and allow the people to kind of be a democratic um, gatekeeper of their own. But, you know, put yourself out out on a limb and say, all right, you know, here's what I am. And I just happen to to make this this music. And I I think is that... uh, is that sort of the 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 
secret sauce, for lack of a, a better word, that you know to to take the disruption and say, okay, well, maybe the old school business model is broken, but we can still kind of take this one thing and add this new thing to it. Is that kind of where your head's at? Uh, I'm not even sure about that. You know, I'm 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 kind of like intentionally making it up. Okay. Um, mainly again because I think that the stuff. The, the stuff you're talking about in terms of getting to know musicians and the artists on the roster as people is especially important in our field of classical music because there's a dress code. Like, it's like, you know, you go to a concert of an orchestra and they're all going to be fucking wearing tuxedos, you know? It's like, I was thinking about this the other day. Uh, and so I'm going to drag the other thing and talk about this at the same time. I, I think that like it's easy to give an F you to the man about the classical music industry because the whole industry is the man. They tell you when to show up. They tell you what to play. They tell you what to wear. They tell you what you can't do. Where's the fun in any of that? You know, that I'm going to show up I'm going to play directly at 8 o'clock. I'm going to be wearing this every time, and I'm not going to talk to you. I, I will say... Uh, and you might have heard me play this last year. Yeah. If not that, maybe two years ago. I mean, I, I've been on both sides of that equation, and I, I will say I don't know that I've ever felt more uncomfortable on stage than when I had to give my senior recital, <laughs> uh, and it was just me in a suit. Was I in a tux? I don't think I was in a tux. But in a suit... And playing for these people, and I did talk a little bit, but then on the other side, and this is what's always fascinated me, because I, I've always thought of myself kind of audience first when it comes to classical, but I get so, I, I like going to see live music, I really do, and I, you know, I did study classical music in college, regardless of both of those things, I am never more uncomfortable and nervous than I am sitting in the audience of a classical concert. I would, um... My roommate and I went to uh, one of the, I think it was the, the Manus uh, Orchestra <clears throat> here in town, and this girl's like phone briefly like vibrated or something, and she yeah, yeah. checked it, and it was like, we were up in the nosebleeds, like there was no way this was going to, and man, I tell you, within like 20 seconds, some man in like a yellow rain jacket or something like that was you know, shining the light and making more of a scene than yeah. it ever was in the first place. And it's like, what uh, is that? Like, like, going to a classical concert is like being in prison. Right. Minus, you know. Plus, you know, you might be nervous about your own reaction, and then up on stage it's so precious that they might break something. Oh, hope they don't make a mistake. Oh, no. <laughs> like, fucking break <laughs> something. <laughs> Let's of, break something. There's a... I, I love this interview with... Uh, By the he, way, we're watching a Detroit-Baltimore game, and this pitcher's beard is fucking epic, man. <laughs> Sorry. We, we, we're going to... No, we're going we're we're to get into some sports in a minute. I will say that there's this... Uh, Look at that beard, though. No, wow. It's, awesome. it's I, I could never grow that. I don't know if it's as good as Brian Wilson's was uh, a few years back. When, <laughs> I, that's uh, the he, original. That's the... Yeah. Just, like, uh, no, he was the trailblazer. Um, but like there was this, uh, you know, the mandolin player, Chris Teeley. Mm -hmm. So there's this interview that he had where he was talking about being at a, at an orchestra concert and I think they were doing Brahms or something. And he said, there's this one part where like the, the violins just have this crazy run. And he was like, and they nailed it. And he, like, all he did is he's sitting there and he just goes, Gah! like little fist pump, yeah. nothing. And, be, Shh! and like he said, my reaction was, 
what are you guys yeah, watching? That was for? amazing. That was awesome. Like, yeah, how exactly. are you not making noise? Exactly. Well, you know, recently, I think we, we we put this on the website when the guy got busted in uh, London for trying to crowd surf during the <laughs> Hallelujah yes. Chorus. And the, but they asked the audience to, like, whoop it up, you know? And it's like, if you actually want people to have fun, have you, you know, I just, I, I would love to just take, take a one member of each section of the New York Phil to, like, a legit big rock show and just be like, look how fun this is. You know, my, my brother got in trouble one time uh, as a young musicologist because he gave a, his first paper that he gave at the national convention was called how Beethoven took the pleasure out of going to a concert and pre Beethoven. Like if you went to a concert in Mozart's time, yeah, they were four hours long, but Hey, where else are you going to go in 1780? There's no live anything. But it's the only live music you're going to see. It's the only music you're going to hear at all. Yeah. And B, you weren't expected to pay attention the whole time. You get your drink on. You got food. You hang out. You talk to your friends. You listen to some music. Like real life today. Like yeah. if you went to see a concert. You get drunk. You talk to your friends. You, you listen to some of the music. Some of the stuff is not great. And you fuck off. Yeah. That's how it's supposed to go wasn't until Beethoven came along that you're supposed to sit in an uncomfortable chair for two hours and pay attention the whole time. Fuck that. I want to get back to, it's fun again. You know, it, let's, like, let's go to a concert where something that you didn't expect to happen, happened. And it was awesome. Uh, in, you know, even among the straightest classical concerts that I've ever been to, the best ones are the ones where Something wasn't quite right. I remember those because that's life. That's real, you know. Well, and that goes back to... Peyton Manning is occasionally going to get intercepted because that's life. You don't have a perfect game every time. You don't have a perfect performance every time. But, you know, maybe you let a comeback in the fourth quarter that's awesome. What sets the best apart? And this goes back to the... the, uh... You know the the true product or value of an artist is their creative process, and beyond that is that if you get into trouble, how do you creatively get out of that so that ninety nine percent of the audience doesn't even realize that you right. messed up? I mean, and that that's the thing that sets the true professionals apart. You know, regardless of what your what we're talking about, whether we're talking about Peyton Manning or whether we're talking about yeah, and in the end, it's like you could you could get anyone to play a piece of music for you. You, you, you we have. Now, at our fingertips, a vast catalog. Uh, if I wanted to hear any piece by Brahms, I could find at least 20 different recordings of it. So who cares? But you do care about a person. It's like if somebody's interesting, I almost don't care what they do. I'll probably check it out because they're interesting. I remember, you know, sort of the inspiration for the style of these podcasts and why, you know, it doesn't matter if somebody gets up and gets water or whatever is... The uh, I'm a dork, and <laughs> I used to watch with DVDs. Used to have I, Blu-rays for some reason don't have them as much, but DVDs used to have director's commentaries, especially on arty movies. Yeah. And maybe my favorite movie of all time is Boogie Nights um, with Mark Wahlberg and a, and, a, and a real huge cast, a bunch of people: Philip Seymour Hoffman and William H Macy, and even. Um, Oh, never mind. Smokey and the Bandit, uh, Burt Reynolds, and, and 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 all this. Anyway, the 
one of the director's commentaries is just him talking, and it's pretty much straight. Although I'm always fascinated to hear the behind-the-scenes shit. But then they have a director's commentary that's him talking with members of the cast. And Mark Wahlberg could not give two shits. He takes phone calls during it. <laughs> He's clearly, like, eating popcorn or some sort of noisy sandwich, like, all the way through it. But it's awesome because it's really, it sounds like something's really happening, like, in the first first five minutes I was listening, I was like, what the fuck is this? But as I kept listening, I was like, this is the most awesome shit I've ever heard because real life is happening. And these are the people who created it. And that's infinitely more interesting than watching the same movie over and over again. Or I could watch that movie over and love it. But knowing those people behind it and behind the performances of the art it's pretty awesome. That's what it's, I It's really... like watching a movie with them in the room with yeah. Mark Wahlberg and his right. sandwich. And... Yeah, he's like hanging out. He doesn't give a shit, but he's like, that was cool. Remember that? <laughs> Burt Reynolds fucking hated me. Yeah. You know, so it's just like that kind of thing is is really like the, the, the ideal behind, uh, behind what we're trying to do. Cool. So we're going to, uh, like I said, we're going to try and mix in some uh, current events, some, some sports. Obviously, uh, we're watching the game. So... Uh, Clearly, this is something that we, we're both into, politics, whatever. We're going to try and, and talk about some stuff that isn't always just about music. We're going to stick on this uh, subject of pretension, pre <laughs> pretense. Um, and so we're going to talk about, okay, so last night, uh, big game, number two, Oregon, uh, played Arizona in college football. And um, the way it went down was that it was, I believe, a tie ball game, and uh Oregon stopped Arizona with like five minutes to play on a third down. So the guy who tackles the quarterback then goes and does a like a samurai bow at midfield, gets a penalty called automatic first down. Arizona goes and scores. Oregon fumbles the ball in the next position and loses. So this is in the wake of last weekend when um, uh, Chiefs defensive back Hussein Abdullah was penalized for... Now, and this, this one made headlines because... Uh, he would he prayed uh, on his knees. Uh, he's a he's a Muslim apparently, and uh, <clears throat> so people drove home the religion aspect. But the defense was that oh well, he didn't get penalized for that. He got penalized for sliding on his knees after scoring a pick six, which is equally it's as ridiculous to me. So let you know, obviously there's you know pretentious people in in everything that that goes on. But uh, yeah, I, let, let me get get your 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 more elaborate thoughts. Then, <laughs> well, first of all, I think that in the pros, you should be able to do whatever the fuck you want. You know, you're getting paid millions of dollars. There are people in the stadium who who paid a lot of money to watch the football game. You're being televised nationally in front of millions of people, and you just intercepted the quarterback and ran it back for a touchdown. You should you should be able to set yourself on fire if you want. <laughs> Uh, you're prof- you know you're professional that's part of the whole thing college i still don't have a problem with it either it's like i'm going to get so the, these refs are old white guys you know why in the world a, a kid a 20 year old kid made a, a game defining play and celebrated and wants had to the audacity celebrate it. to celebrate Come on. Now, 
Now, if he takes the football and he spikes it in the middle of the field, or if he tosses it in somebody's face, or if he does like a throat cutting, then I get it. He does the entire dance routine from Thriller, you know? I mean, <laughs> yeah, he does like a whole Maori... Game yeah, he does the Maori war chant at midfield <laughs> and shit. But no, it's like... I brought up the, that they're old white guys because I think culturally, for dudes who are... Any dude over 50, but especially for white dudes over 50, the cultural the culture has changed under their feet in such a way that they don't even recognize it. They don't see it. It's not, It hasn't happened. So, the fact, let alone the fact that that was the most important moment of that game, that referees are going to insinuate themselves into the outcome, because it's not a five-yard penalty and a slightly longer field goal try or a nope. slightly shorter field goal try. It's a first it's down. It's a first a down. Yep. That's bullshit. Yep. You know, it's like, I'm going to bring it back to music because it just makes me think of an yeah. analogy. You know, when when I was being taught, my original training is to be an orchestral clarinet player. Ha, ha, ha. I don't take orders well. It didn't work out. But I was always told, if the conductor doesn't say shit to you, you're awesome. So when you're doing a really good job, you're more or less invisible. That's how, that's how referees and umpires should be. When they're doing a really good job, you should barely know that they're there. Everybody's going to make a crap call. Everybody makes mistakes. It happens. You can argue about it. That's part of the excitement. But to, to have the outcome of a bunch of kids who are between the ages of 18 and 21, the whole outcome be determined by an old white guy who has been running at half speed backwards for 45 <laughs> minutes. It's important. It just doesn't fly. It's a shame. It, it's a, it, it, that is a travesty. It happens. It'll continue to happen because that's sort of what makes sports interesting. But I think for me, short of like, you know, holding up a sign, insulting somebody's mom after you make it a touchdown, you should pretty much be able to do whatever you want. Who cares if somebody signs a football? It's fun. Yeah. It's professional. I go to, it's a game. Yeah, I go to be entertained. Exactly, yeah. yeah well, you know, it, it. so, look, football also resides in the same universe that classical music resides. And baseball even more resides Dear there. God, yes. Because baseball is very classic, and you have the rules, and you have to stay within the rules. And a rich tradition that any baseball fan will be able to talk to you about for hours, whether you care or not. Right. But, you know, you have some stadiums, I think uh, maybe Houston or something, where they disallowed people from doing the wave. You're not allowed to do the You're wave. Kidding me. Yeah, for real. And as lame as I think the wave is. This the wave is stupid, but... You know, people who were bored... Listen, baseball games are three and a half, four fucking hours long. You yeah. got, like, kids there. You got people who aren't that interested. Yeah. Who cares? Yeah. You know, but if it happens at Yankee Stadium, they'll get shouted down. And people will yell at you if, you if you do the wave. But it happens. People do the wave because fuck you. Yeah. You know, but... There yeah, was a wave when I was Any time that performance practice or tradition with a big T comes in... I'll, I'll tie this into a story that I read about uh, yesterday about an exclusive prep school uh, up here in the east where they all are that forever had had 
what they called club football, which yeah. was eight eight men to a side dorms. Your dorms would play against each other. Dwindling interest. Couldn't field full teams. The headmaster who was new said, okay, we're no longer having club football. There's no interest. Nobody signed up for it. The alumni completely lost their collective minds because these are the same old white guys in their 50s. Long story short, club football is back at that thing. The headmaster is no longer employed at that institution. And, you know, it became a whole campaign of nasty, anonymous letter writing and all of this kind of stuff. So anytime there becomes this ossified or calcified rigidness or rigidity about the performance practice or the tradition of what you're doing, you should take a good fucking look at that because that's like... That's how you get religion saying that gay people should die. You know, it's like, that's how you get, everything is when, when you get too rigid, that's when shit starts to become dangerous. Yeah, just clinging to, to whatever. <clears throat> yeah, so let kids celebrate. Who cares? He's 20. He made a huge play. You should like, uh, you know. And I, the, the I sad made... part is he made this amazing play and it could have been this awesome memory for the rest of his life. Yeah. But now it's tainted as one of the worst memories yeah, you were, probably. You, you, you cost us a chance at the <clears throat> national championship. Yeah. I mean that's that's a really that's a huge swing for that yeah. guy. Um, I mean, and for such a seemingly thing, but I mean, it does seem to be the same. Uh, by the way, uh, the Orioles just went out a three runs swing <laughs> oh, here, so it's man. now seven to six. It and uh, sucks. I tried not to like hoot or holler or anything because <laughs> um, we're professionals and performance practice is right. But it does it does seem to be this whether we're talking about going to see the New York Phil play or whether we're talking about. Um, you know, penalizing for excessive so it does seem to be the same impetus behind that, um, and it, it's just something that I guess we uh, we get to deal with for uh, forever. I shouldn't you know? Shouldn't we have fun? I would think you so. know. It's to decide a game like that. It just makes me crazy. It <laughs> makes me fucking crazy. Well, I uh, I think that's uh, that's all the topics we had to cover. So all right, that's, nice. Uh, Look, how long did we take? It took uh, going on an hour, an hour. Going on an hour. Nice. Um, so yeah, we're uh, this was our, our first one. I hope for those of you that checked in that you enjoyed it. Um, if you have any subjects that you want Will to to cover, uh, yep. you know, hit us up. Will at OpenGRecords.com. Yep. So, um, and or, Will, or Twitter. Will, uh, yeah, I, I'm also on Twitter. Hit I, us up at OpenGRecords. Yeah. Hit Will up at what? WCarrot. <clears throat> I should uh, know not, my Twitter handle by heart. Ah, I think it's WCarrigan90, yeah. but I, I'm not positive. Well, oh, at OpenGRecords. Yeah, there you uh, go. Is really if you if you tweet at us there. We'll definitely like try to work in what whatever you might want to ask. And if uh, if people are are actually dig this stuff, we could uh, even do the uh, the sort of the live stream questions sort of thing. I yeah, mean, that's no a doubt. Possibility too. Basically, what we're saying this is still kind of an up in the air thing. We're gonna make it as cool as our listeners like. So thank you guys for tuning in. This was uh, open season episode one. Um, so we'll see you in two weeks. <laughs>